Mama Mia, here we go again with another episode of Black Tomatoes, episode 22, in fact. And we have a special guest in studio, aside from Scott Menzel. Stay tuned. Here we go. There's a fire within my soul. Just one yes. Mia, Mama Mia, here we go again with episode 22 of Black Tomatoes Live here at Black Hollywood Live. Scott Menzel is at Comic-Con getting his geek on, but while he's there in his place, I have a very special guest in studio. But before I introduce who he is, let me just tell you this. Go to iTunes, give us those five stars and let us know how much you like the show and join us in the chat room at YouTube. We will talk back now. For our special guest. His name, well, I'm not going to tell you his name just yet. (laughs) Tease you. So, Travell, yeah, I am. (laughs) I lied. So, Travell Anderson is an award winning entertainment reporter at the LA Times. He covers diversity in Hollywood, he focuses on black people and queer film. Who knew? And he's a graduate (laughs) of Morehouse and Stanford University, and he is also the writer and facilitator of a fantabulous article in the LA Times this week about 14 underrepresented critics of color. Ladies and gentlemen, from which I'm featured. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to the Black Hollywood Live Studios and Black Tomatoes, Mr. Travell Anderson. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm, I'm living. I'm living. I'm living. I can't complain. I can't complain. Good. Yeah. Oh, you got applause. Isn't that fantabulous? Oh, as I should. We fancy. Oh, we- <laughs> What? And then there's nothing about modesty. Hello. I mean, listen, you got to know when you're hot stuff. Oh, and you are. And you are. We know this. So let's just talk a little bit about this article. You contacted me to be one of the 14 people involved in this article. And I just want to know what was the impetus in you driving this forward for the paper? So last month, right, USC released a study saying that most film critics are white men. And those of us of color and other diverse Already backgrounds... Already knew that. We knew it. We <laughs> was like, okay, and what's next? Um, but what I wanted to do is try to get some of those voices of underrepresented folks together mm-hmm. and have them share their experiences about what it's like being a person of color, being a woman, being LGBTQ, being disabled, etc. in this industry. And so, you know, I reached out to some people I knew and some people I didn't know. Um, and I was able to get 14 people together um, to just share a variety of experiences. Some people have had really great experiences. Some people haven't. Some people are freelancers such as yourself. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, are at, you know, big newspapers and things like that. And so we were able to get a variety of voices to just talk about um, ways to make the industry a little bit more inclusive. I love that. And I, thank you so much for including me. I was so, I am beyond grateful, humble, excited, geeked. Like, I can't find enough adjectives to describe how I feel about you out that here hustling, <laughs> as so many folks are, right? Yeah. And oftentimes, folks like us don't get a chance to be seen, and we don't get a chance to be heard. And so, you know, I took my little piece of paper and you know tried to give some people a little bit of shine. I appreciate. So you. hopefully, y'all get some more jobs out of this. Ooh, honey, people I've already got. You. I've already gotten a few little gig gigs Good. out of it. So I'm like, ooh, the, yes, <laughs> that's the goal. I'm so happy. So, um. 
we're going to talk later on. We're going to talk a little bit about Mama Mia and blind spotting and some Equalizer and some McQueen. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I just wanted to say that I had the opportunity, speaking of getting out there and hustling, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to moderate a Q&A with Mr. John Singleton yes. last weekend for the 25th anniversary of Poetic Justice. There's the picture for those of you watching the YouTube. And he said something that made me chuckle out loud so that is why I'm grinning within an inch of my life I love it that he has on shorts right now let me tell you something I felt so overdressed in that moment right. baby I had on this fantabulous off the shoulder black jumpsuit the face was beat the hair was done and my boy showed up in shorts and a short sleeve Listen, shirt like I'm he like, going to the cookout look like he was going to the barbecue around the corner I was like I cannot with you Mr. John but he Singleton. can do that because he's like you know he's an icon he's a legend he is in a this con- industry he is an icon but he dropped some nuggets so he told us that Originally, he asked iCube, Ice Cube to be in Poetic Justice. He wanted Ice Cube to play the lead in it, and wow. Ice Cube was like, "Yeah, no, I got an image. I can't be doing. I can't be doing the romantic." <laughs> I holla. I, that's probably what I was laughing at when he that's said ho- that. But now we see Ice Cube is playing. You know, the the the, the father, father. You know, it's so interesting how things change. Yes, you know, the years will mellow a person out and make them look at things differently, Listen, especially when you have children and a wife. So you got to get these checks, however you can. <laughs> I cannot stand you right now. I'm just saying. I cannot stand you right now. So let's talk about um, Blind Spotting. Okay. Blind Spotting is directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, and it stars David Diggs and Rafael Cassell. And let me tell you something. This movie messed me up. Ooh, in a good way? It messed me up in a good way, Mm. only because I was... The first part of it messed me up because it's dealing with an issue that we've been dealing with here in America for a couple of years um, with unarmed young black men being shot down for no reason. Mm -hmm. And what happens with David in this film is that he basically he's focusing on the last 24 hours of of his life being a parolee. So in 24 hours, he's about to be free. He don't have to go to parole. He don't have to live in no um, secondhand house. Mm -hmm. He'll be able to, you know, do what he wants to without having to check in with somebody. And then shenanigans happen. Shenanigans, honey. Shenanigans go down. He starts to question his lifelong friendship with his friend who's white. Mm -hmm. Or he might be Latino, but he looks white. Right. Um, He starts to question his friendship with him. And he questions the police. And it makes him kind of flip out a little bit. This film, I think everybody needs to see it. I think it is a must-see. I think David Diggs is one of our voices, just like um, Boots Riley right Mm -hmm. now. He's next in line, for sure. Boots Riley and Jordan Peele, they are our new voices in cinema. And I think that people need to see it just to give it some support. It's an indie film. Mm -hmm. It needs the support of people in order for it to continue to do well. So, But I really enjoyed the movie. It... It messed me up. And the the one moment that messed me up the most is a moment where David's character, Collins. Executives, Kevin Under- <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I was like, what's up? <laughs> um, the thing that messed me up was there was a scene where Colin was playing around with Miles, um, Raphael's character, Miles' little kid. Mm. And he goes, stop it. And he, he yells at him and goes, stop it right now. And the little boy goes, don't shoot. Mm-hmm. That broke my heart. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it it messed me up. How did how did you- the movie? It's just like so timely. Um, and it's interesting because so I hosted a, a Q and A with them after one of the airings of the film this uh, on Friday. Um, and they talk about how. They initially began writing this after Oscar Grant was killed in Oakland, which Ryan Coogler's first film, Fruitvale Station, is based on. Exactly. Um, And it's so interesting to see some of those same themes that they were dealing with then in, you know, 10 years ago are still relevant today. Um, One of the things I really loved was just its use of, like, heightened verse um, rapping, as you know, some of the white folks might call it, um, or hip hop, you know, or hip hop, you know, whatever <laughs> the case may be. But you know, the way that that's kind of incorporated into the storyline. Yeah, my favorite scene was the the final scene. Yes, with the police. You officer. With the police officer. Oh, I was in tears. Uh, and it's so it's so interesting. I'm just going to share this. He talks about how uh, David Diggs. Um, I asked him about like why was that particular scene necessary, mm-hmm. and why was it necessary to do it in verse. And he talks about how often. Oftentimes, when it comes to black folks, particularly black men, we only listen to them when they're rapping. Mm. And so that's deep. It's it's so deep, that's and it kind of takes the movie to like a new whole another level. level. And I was just like, you know what? But it's true. It is true. It is so true. Like people, everybody has to support this movie because it is an independent movie. It is being distributed by Lionsgate, but they're an independently produced movie. That's right. And we need these types of voices. Uh, the director that you mentioned, it's his first debut. It's his first film. film. Yes, first debut film. And he did it's a fantabulous amazing. job. I think it's so amazing. For his so first timely. film. What? It's listen. That's some talent right there. And this is the second film coming out of Oakland this year. Yes. So I'm like, Oakland is having a moment right now. Oakland is having a renaissance moment. Listen. For real, for real. (laughs) (laughs) They are having a moment of all kinds of sorts. Okay, so the next film I want to talk about is Equalizer 2. Mm -hmm. So this is directed by Antoine Fuqua. It stars Denzel Washington and Melissa Leo. Basically, Denzel Washington. Now, this is the sequel to the first one. And I didn't see the first one. I'm not even going to lie. Same. I didn't see the first one. (laughs) But... um, I saw this one. And basically, Denzel Washington is like this Lyft driver superhero who takes out the bad guys. And in this particular instance, the bad guys happen to be his best friends from the Bureau. Yes. Who um, killed his best friend. And he's just trying to figure out why. And he and once he finds out why, he's like, mm, I'm going to take care of every last one of you all one by one. Let's take a look at this trailer real quick. It's great. You're helping all these random people. Stay off the radar. They killed my friend. So I'm going to kill each and every one of you. The only disappointment is that I only get to do it once. It's a mistake to go to war with them. They're highly trained. They're going to war with me. And that's what I'm saying. He went to war with his friends and he (laughs) wore them out. It's so good. Let me tell you what I love about Equalizer 2. I know it got a really bad rap review-wise across the board, but this is what I loved about Equalizer 2. This is the second film I've seen this year with somebody who's over 50 that is a bona fide movie star. The other one was Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Mm. This one is Denzel with Equalizer 2. This just goes to show that when it says Denzel Washington is or Denzel Washington stars, folk don't care. They will go see the movie. They don't care what Rotten Tomatoes or anybody else said. Number one at the box office It's Denzel Washington. It is Denzel Washington in a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And it and wore me good, out. Though. It was it's good. So good. I don't know what the reviews are saying. It's so good. And they to see it. him, you know, at his age doing action in I'm this way. 
it's it's, it's so major. It's, it's so major. Good. It's everything. It's ma- it it was everything, and I was like. Well, go ahead, Denzel Washington, with your bad stuff. I'm like, what is going on right it's now? It's so good. One of my favorite parts is the kind of surprising heart that the story has. Um, Ashton Sanders, who most people will know from Moonlight. He plays um, Miles. He plays Miles, who's this kind of, you know, kid who's, you know, wayward and, like, about to go into, The you darkness know, of the hood. Listen. Yes, he is. And Denzel basically kind of rescues him. And there's, like, this real sweet relationship that they end up developing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Denzel ends up having to save his life mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. And I just thought that heart and that emotion, that tenderness, I didn't expect to see that in this movie. Me either. But and it's I'm so a, good. And I'm going to tell you something else. Thank you for bringing up Ashton. Ashton surprised me because... I, w- I wasn't surprised by his talent because he made that known in Moonlight, mm-hmm. like you said. But what I was surprised at is how he held his own against a two-time Oscar winner. Yes. Because that can be very daunting for someone as yes. young as him. And he there's that scene where Denzel is in his face, like literally in his face, so letting him have it. it. And Ashton does not flinch. And he, I will say this. So I had the opportunity to interview them both uh, together. Mm-hmm. And Ashton talked about like one of the lessons he learned from Denzel on set was to just like keep it simple. Mm. Um, he said that Denzel kept seeing him and discovering him in a place where he was like overthinking the scenes and doing the most. Because he's in a scene with a two-time Oscar exactly. winner. That's probably why. And Denzel was like, just keep it simple. And he also told me, he's like, if you do make a mistake, so a lot of times the mistakes are the best part. So just like ride with it. There's no need to keep acting like you're auditioning for the role. Exactly. You're here with me on this set. Let's do it. You know what that reminds me of? I worked with Tyler Perry last year. Mm-hmm. About this time last year, I worked with Tyler Perry on the Have and the Have Nots. And Tyler Perry only does one take. Uh-oh. Oh, yes, boo. One take of any scene that you do. One take. We shot two episodes in one day. Oh, no, I'm honey. sorry. He shot three episodes in one day. I was in two of them. So there's that. But the thing about it is he shoots one take because he believes that your first take is the most honest take you're going to give. After that first take, you start overthinking it. You start doing stuff that you wouldn't do. Right. And it might, you know, make it a little less organic. Mm Mm-hmm. As much as I did not appreciate that, I'm gonna say in the that's moment, so interesting. Let me tell you something. As an actor, I would be like, "What, what do you What do you mean? I don't get it." As an actor, take. it was nerve wracking because you know I'm used to acting in L. A. on sitcoms where you do stuff a zillion times mm-hmm. for different coverages. So when they were like, "Oh, we gonna do one take," I was like, oh, "What?" So I'm here to say I'm a busy man. Okay, we gotta get in <laughs> and we gotta get out. <laughs> I was like, "What?" And then I had the opportunity to run into him afterwards at the night before the Oscars earlier mm-hmm. this year. I didn't get to talk to him on set. Like, I literally shot them scenes and I was out of there. Wow. Like, it was wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, for real. And I saw him at the night before the Oscars. I was like, yo, I just wanted to tell you thank you. It was my opportunity to work with you. He was like, oh, did you like what you saw? And I was, to my surprise and amazement, he was on Twitter and saw everything that everybody said about me on Twitter. And folk went in on my character. Her, her name was Joanne. <laughs> folk went in on Joanne on wow. Twitter. But it was, he saw everything. And I said, I hope we get an opportunity to work together again. He said, oh, we will. I'm like, well, okay. Okay, okay Tyler. All right, well, he's got <laughs> your number. Perry, right? You he know. got my number, my email, and my address, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so we loved, loved, loved Equalizer 2, me and Travell did. I don't know what everybody else was thinking. Maybe they saw the first one, and they were comparing it to the first one. Cause yeah, the, I didn't the see first the first one, the first one, I didn't see the first one. But ironically enough, Mama Mia and Equalizer, the first ones, were on television mm-hmm. this weekend, mm-hmm. which was really weird. I'm like, they're trying to get people to go to the movies. Listen, they say, show up, please. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. But I saw a little bit of the, the first one because my mom was watching it. And the, the storyline was very similar. So maybe that's the issue that most critics had with it. But, you know, I'm like this. And when this brings me into the next movie, we're going to mm-hmm. discuss Mama Mia. Um, 
which is directed by Old Parker, and it picks up 10 years later where Donna's daughter Sophie is trying to open up Belladonna and it's opening to all kinds of shenanigans and obstacles and whatnot. And they do a whole lot of flipping back and forth between Donna when she was young mm-hmm. leading up to when she has Sophie or is pregnant with Sophie. But this is what I love about Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia is not trying to change the face of cinema. Mamma Mia is not trying to be the next Oscar, big Oscar award winning La La Land. It's not. It is one of those films. It's not. It's one of those films that if you love ABBA and you like the songs of ABBA and you liked the first Mamma Mia, you're going to love this one because mm-hmm. it's fun. It's just if you and and straight up, we're living in such tumultuous times in this moment. Where every day you wake up and you go on Twitter or you look at the news and you see shenanigans in a negative vein. Honey, Mama Mia is needed for everybody. Sometimes you just need to laugh. I can see that. I'm not going to lie, though. I didn't enjoy it. You didn't? I oh did not. Oh, my God. Really? I, it, probably because I'm not as familiar with Abba's music. You didn't see the musical either, um, did you? I did not. Oh, hi. Um, but I was, I mean, it was fine. It was a fine movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you should go see it if you're looking for something to escape with. That's what I'm you saying. You know, it's, it is, I think a lot of people will have fun seeing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I did not. <laughs> um, but, um, but I can see it being useful for somebody um, and somebody really enjoying it. But it just wasn't for me. Okay. But what, but let me ask you this. Was Cher being in it for you? Well, you know, Cher's an icon. and But she was really only in it for like Two 10 seconds, minutes, But if you that. know what? But Cher was living. But I'm going to need Cher not to ever do another dance step as long as she lives. I love me some Cher. We know she can't dance. Look, I didn't know that. Really? I did not know that until that moment. And I was like, Cher, I don't ever need you to do another lunge or step ever again. I love Listen. you dearly. I'm your biggest fan ever. So don't hate me when you hear this, but girl. Listen, she might be worse than Mariah Carey at dancing. Oh, ooh, I can't. I mean, <laughs> I can't. I'm just saying, I don't know if you remember, like she got an, she got like an icon award or something from one of those music uh, award shows mm-hmm. a couple years ago maybe last year. I think it was like MTV or VH1 One of them or that nobody watches. Um, and <laughs> she performed like a medley and the music was on point. Her vocals were on point. But them dance moves... They were not Ooh. happening. And it's okay. And it's okay because she's an icon. She's a legend. She can stand there and just sing. And that's enough. Honey, her singing Fernando was everything. It was, it was, I, it was a good moment. Her I'm not singing, lie. But this was the thing that made me laugh. Not only was her singing Fernando kind of fantabulous, but then she had like a costume change in the middle of the movie. <laughs> who come? Who come? Who come wait. It's Cher. Wait, wait. But who comes? Who comes to their granddaughter's opening in one outfit? And she ain't got no, you don't see no luggage, no nothing. You just see her in the helicopter. So when does she have time to change clothes into this fantabulous outfit Listen. to sing Fernando? That made me tee out It's Cher. You know she's got it in her contract. I've <laughs> got to have one outfit change no matter what I'm doing. I'm surprised there wasn't a wig change. <laughs> I'm just saying. I can't, but I kind of liked her with the white hair. It was kind of fantastic. It was actually kind of good. Yeah, you're right. It was kind of fantabulous. I kind of loved her for that. But okay, so that's enough about Mama Mia. But I, but I do want to give a shout out to to Lily James who played the young Donna. Donna is the part that Meryl Streep played in the first mm-hmm. version. Lily James held her own, and I have to also give a shout out to Jessica Keenan Wynn, who is one of my little Broadway buddy babies. Um, she graduated. She's a late a native Angelino. She graduated from USC. I worked with her shortly after 
She graduated from USC. So to see her in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, is her first movie with Meryl Streep and Cher is kind of everything. That's amazing. It is kind of amazing. Shout out to the glow up. But she's kind of amazing. She's an amazing doll. She can do anything. I will say all of the acting was was good. Yeah. Like it's not bad acting. Like these Mom, are all. Oh, oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, them, oh. them younger, the younger versions of the guys, mm, <sighs> not so much. And I could live without ever hearing Pierce Brosnan sing again. Facts, actually. <laughs> I mean, all facts. Let okay. me just say, I love them all. I love it was an all star cast. I love them all, but mm, I don't ever need to hear Pierce Brosnan sing again. Well, maybe maybe that's why the critics, you know, I don't know, I don't know, but I was like, <laughs> honey, no, 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 no. So last up on our film list of things is this doc. I love documentaries. I'm a mm-hmm. huge, 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 huge fan of documentaries. The poster that um. They're going to show in a little bit of McQueen is designed by McQueen's nephew, Gary. Oh, wow. It's beautiful. It, it is gorgeous. But however, that poster did not make me want to see it. <laughs> like, I was just like, I was a little like, okay, what? What is this? Are you, if you're familiar with Alexander, Alexander McQueen's work is a little avant-garde. I get and it. And a little out there. However, so. even the trailer is like, I was like, what is, what, is this some satanic uh-uh. stuff? Well, let me tell you something. I saw that documentary and I shed a tear. I was extremely moved, mostly mm. because it came out around the same time Kate Spade committed suicide. And anyone right. that knows the world of fashion knows that Alexander McQueen committed suicide. He was a mm-hmm. very tortured soul. But I had the opportunity to speak with the directors, Peter and Ian. I'm not going to mention their last names because I butchered their last names in front of them. Oh, Lord. So I'm not going to butcher <laughs> their last names on this podcast. I'm really not. <laughs> but what we will do is just run this interview with them in its entirety. It'll run about, you know, eight minutes or so. So enjoy, people. I'm a huge fan of documentaries and especially fashion documentaries. And I know that Unzipped kicked it all off in like 1995. And this year we've got the one Gospel According to Andre. We have your documentary. We had a couple of other ones last year. What made you guys want to do a documentary about Alexander McQueen? I mean, the first thing to say is we were blissfully unaware of this kind of mini genre of the fashion documentary when we started working on this film. We, we came to this because, not because McQueen was a fashion designer and we wanted to make a film about a fashion designer, but because we were in London um, at kind of at different points of an early career, really, in London in the 90s. And you couldn't help but be inspired by this man because he was everywhere, you know. He, he was working not just in fashion, but he was working, he was making pop videos for Bjork. He was, uh, you know, he was doing these extraordinary sort of like kind of hybrid photography art works with people like Nick Knight. Yeah, he did. He worked across all lanes. He was, yeah, absolutely. And he was sort of like so much the centre of what, you know, what we kind of like look back almost nostalgically on as as cool Britannia of that (laughs) period. And he was very much at the heart of that. So I think it was more that that was inspiring us. For us, our references when we started on this were sort of like, were not so much, there were movies like Amy and Senna by Asif Kapan and Pina by Vim Vendors and also a kind of film that I'd worked on about Marlon Brando I saw that film so it was um, great so to me Marlon exactly Mm -hmm. and and there were certain things that we did in that film such as using Brando's voices or you know to kind of like take you to the narrative and you did that here too as well a little bit not as much but you did exactly Mm -hmm. so there were certain things that we took from all of those films but I think the thing that we really loved about them was that they sure they were kind of documentary 
countries, but they they kind of filled the cinema screen and they filled the auditorium with emotion. And I think that was what we wanted for McQueen. And it's great. It's really interesting to know that there are that there are all these other fashion films going on and that this film is sort of like part of that current. But in a sense, we feel McQueen's story is very universal. You don't have to love fashion or know anything about fashion to be drawn into the mind of this quite extraordinary creative genius of, of that period. And our narrative was very much inspired by an emotional journey. We obviously take his life and his work and his work happened to be within the world of fashion but because he transcended that we knew that people that have interest in music or movies or or, or art would find they, they would relate to Lee and I think it's very much what we wanted to is a portrait of a man that happened to be within the fashion industry not the fact that he is the fashion industry and he's, he was very at odds with the fashion industry himself so we never I actually yeah and yeah. we never treated this his life from the fashion industry point of view you know we try to avoid using the, a lot of contributors that tend to pop up in fashion yeah. documentaries. We try yeah. to really talk to family, close friends, etc., etc. We really wanted to avoid commentators. Not that there's anything wrong with commentators, but we didn't want anyone that could turn potentially an interview into a commentary about how great the fashion was. We really wanted to go behind and get more uh, personal information about the man because the work spoke for itself. Yes, Nobody it needs to. Nobody needs to comment on that. You Let me tell you something. I boohooed when I saw it. I was I was a little bit of a mess. I'm a mess now. Talking about my eyes are watering up. I was a little bit of a mess after I saw that. It touched me so very much. It really. I'm a big old cream puff anyway. But, oh, <laughs> but you're talking to two other cream puffs. Yeah, guys. exactly. But, <laughs> <keep on crying. laughs> but it really did touch my heart, and it sat with me for weeks. Like I can very vividly remember what I saw, and I see a lot of films. So for me to be that vivid about what I screened in the bit of time that your documentary took place says volumes about the two of you as filmmakers so thank you for that oh, no, thank, thank you, you very much. much oh it's the truth the last thing I want to talk about you mentioned about talking to family what is the one thing that you got from his sister Janet and his nephew about Lee that you didn't know before or that was an eye-opening revelation for you in terms of crafting the film together what is great when you see family is that family is the closest reflection of someone that has passed you know we are however we fall out with our family etc we fall out generally you. because we're very close to them the mirror of ourselves we all have our own sort of DNA whatever we get more from our mom our dad our grandparents etc but somehow we are from the same tree and for me is all the information they give us and all the amazing thing they shared with us which is was very generous from them because they you know they reveal some very painful truth but it's very much that literally from the footage we see you see a bit of Lee within Gary and you see a bit of Lee within Janet so they're the closest thing from who Lee Alexander McQueen really was visually or you know they, they got brought up together they, they share the same DNA and that for me even more than information it was just like from seeing them talking to them constantly you know it dictated almost mm. the most whatever they said on camera that rapport we built with them and that connection we built with them just really injected a lot of truth within what yeah. we could say they're all bound together Lee, Janet and Gary by this uh, alas this sort of very traumatic story of, of the abuse inflicted on Lee and Janet by Janet's first husband and that is not a huge revelation it's been talked about before but I think what's very important is that you feel very palpably the way that they were bound together and the fallout with Gary and how Gary reflects on it as, as, as 
this man's son is very poignant. It's kind of like a window into three people's souls, really. And there's a great deal of emotion and sorrow that comes from them. But they also, you know, the other thing is that you see very clearly where Lee, is, as Ian was saying, you, you feel where Lee was came from. So you f- also feel that how far he travelled away from the family because, you know, you see Janet and you see, well, that's Gary, but you see Janet and you kind of like feel the East End upbringing and the world that he came from and this very sort of solid and decent world. And you look at the kind of the, the craziness of the fashion world mm-hmm. that he kind of found himself in and that kind of contrast and also that what that must have done without actually saying anything about this, you just feel it. The fact that McQueen was sort of had these two worlds, these two polarities that were kind of pushing and pulling with him and he could never quite resolve them, I don't think. So, you know, I think it was... Yeah, and uh, every time he walked away from it, it's, it was almost like a boomerang. He felt to re... You know, to compelled re- to come back. Yeah, compelled yeah. to come back and just to, to, yeah. to make sure he wasn't going away too far. I think he probably went a little too far towards the end. The other thing about what was amazing working Janet and Gary, but Gary especially, because Gary is an artist in his own right and he contributed a lot creatively to the, to, to the film because he actually designed the skull that we used within the movie where the bird fly off I and the, love that design and the poster so Gary actually designed that and, and it feels it feels great for us that we could almost make the story of 360 so we use you know not only we actually portray some of Lee's work but we actually have his own blood creating work for the film so yeah yeah. there was one other thing because I should just say this because we talked about the tragic the the tragedy that bound these three people together Lee Joyce and and, and, and Janet but I think the other thing is Joyce being the mother uh, yes uh, sorry Lee Janet and Gary but the other the other thing that bound them together was Joyce um, Lee's mother uh, and Lee and Janet's um, mother he was very Um, close to his mom and and he was very close and and she yeah we talked about the sort of like slightly more tragic kind of inheritance but you know, Joyce's heritage was to do with storytelling. She was an amateur historian. She loved to sort of absorb, you know, she kind of gripped her children's imagination with these stories of the past and the family ancestry and so on. And that's something that McQueen absolutely, you know, that's in his soul, that storytelling. And, and that's what he was really was. I mean, we've talked about him as a fashion designer a bit, but he was a storyteller. And that's why he's so appealing to us as filmmakers. I think that is a fabulous way to stop. (laughs) I don't think anything I would ask you after that would be better than that. I'd like to thank you both, Peter and Ian, for sitting down and talking to me. I love y'all so much. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you for taking the time. No worries. That was a fantabulous interview. Thank you so much, Ian and Peter. Again, I love y'all. Y'all were fantabulous. And McQueen is in theaters now. It actually only opened in let me see let me see let me see it only opened in three theaters and it's already grossing ninety six thousand dollars in three theaters oh wow so it has a a bigger opening later on which i'll make sure i tell you guys about but thank you so much for allowing me to do that i really appreciate y'all so now travel and i are going to talk about some news let's get into it yes Oh, but before I do that, I want to announce last week I talked about doing a giveaway of some Hotel Transylvania 3 stuff. And I said, whoever talks to me the most in the chat room gets it. And my boy or my girl, I'm not quite sure because I don't see no pictures, (laughs) ZSB Lou wins the giveaway. So congratulations, ZSB Lou, for that. Yay! All right. So now that I've said that and I talked about McQueen, I also want to say that Blind Spotting is in 14 theaters, so it doesn't have a wide release just yet, and it grossed Mm $332,500, which is really good Mm -hmm. for a film just opening. Mamma Mia sent Universal Pictures over the $1 billion mark, 
Oh, which wow. is what uh, Straight Outta Compton did for it a few years back. So, yay, Mamma Mia, too. I told you Mamma Mia was fun. Um, and it actually beat Denzel's Equalizer um, with the number one spot. So, Mamma mm. Mia, too, got 35.8 million versus the Equalizer's 34.8 million. It's not that big of a, a it's close, though. discrepancy. But it was close. So, that both congratulations to both of those films and both those studios, Lionsgate and Universal. So, what I really want to talk about in this moment is... The Skyscraper Backlash. So for those of you who are not familiar with Skyscraper, Skyscraper stars Dwayne Johnson, and he plays a disabled vet. Well, right after the movie was released, a disabled actress named Katie Sullivan came out, and I'm just going to read this quote that she sent in a really long letter to The Rock about him playing, accepting a role as a disabled vet. She says that she's thrilled that the film about a kick-ass veteran and father got greenlit. The problem is this perpetuates the fact that we're not, what is it, that we're not being able, that we're not the agency to tell our own stories, meaning the the, the disabled community. Mm-hmm. She said that gets a lot of these stories, she gets that a lot of these stories wouldn't get made without a name above the title, but the bottom line is that that is a concern. She works in the industry as well. However, a performer with a disability will never get to a point of being a name above the title unless they give the opportunity to that person and give them the opportunity to be in the running for that part in the first place. Now, using an actor and digitally erasing his legs, making them wear green socks, because in order for you to change the background, you have to use the color green. Mm -hmm. So they put green socks on their legs makes her feel erased as a person of that's um, dis, a disabled person. She cited str- uh, films like Gary's, well, she cited actors like Gary Sinise and Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. She cited last year we had Stronger with Jake Gyllenhaal. She said the year before that it was Me Before You. Mm-hmm. This year it's Joaquin Phoenix and Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot. Huh. So I wanted to talk to you, Travel, mm-hmm. about how you're feeling about that particular subject. I'm going to say how I feel about it. I feel about that the same way I feel about a person of color. Mm -hmm. There was a whole bunch of backlash for Robert Downey Jr. when he donned blackface in that movie a few years back in the jungle. Uh And I love me some Robert Downey Jr. Jr. But if you want a character to be black, then hire a black person. Mm -hmm. Why are you hiring somebody and putting him in blackface? That makes you no better than the person that directed The Birth of a Nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I think generally when we talk about representation and diversity and inclusion, you know, to her point, you can't get a star that is disabled that can carry a movie if you never give a star that is disabled the chance to carry a movie. Absolutely. Right? It's the same conversations we've been having lately about like trans folks. Exactly. With Scarlett Johansson. With Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. We can't we will never know if someone like Laverne Cox, for example, can carry a movie if she's never given a starring role in a movie. And so we need the industry to allow more diverse people, more different types of people to take on these roles. I will say, though, um, Kristen Lopez, who is a disabled critic who was, that in was the, featured in the story in the L.A. Times in the Sunday. story, she actually gave the movie Skyscraper a positive review for its depiction of, of disabled folks. I did folks. as well. Um, but she did also mention it would be great if a disabled person was able to do this role. But she mentioned that they took particular kind of uh, uh, steps and nuances to make sure that the story was a little bit more accurate to what a disabled person's experience is. I, I agree with Kristen. And what I said when I reviewed it is that I love the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of 
to do made about the fact that he was disabled. There mm-hmm. wasn't a whole lot of to do about the fact that his family was an interracial family. Like they weren't like, oh, this is an interracial family. Right. Oh, he's disabled. Like there wasn't a whole discussion about that. It was just a character in mm-hmm. a movie. They didn't bring a special spotlight to it. And I enjoyed that about the movie because usually like before us Gump, there was this whole thing about, mm-hmm. you know, Sergeant Dan mm-hmm. being disabled. It's like, Yo, we can see he don't have no legs. Why we got to keep talking about it? Right, right. It was it was it was a lot. What I will say though, um, and this is like a a different blowback. I need Dwayne Johnson to take a break. (laughs) He is in a movie every single week. It feels like, and like I want him to get these checks right. And the movies every single time are doing very well. So, like, I understand why he's just like, listen, I'm having a moment right now. Let me be in a different movie every three weeks. Like, I get it. However. I just, like, when it comes to press, when it comes to interviewing him, it's just like, I'm tired of seeing you. Let me tell you something about that. I'm almost positive that he has no control over when the movies are released. Because I'm sure that he shot those films within years of each other. And for some reason, the studios... coming out right right now. For some Mm -hmm. reason, the studios decided to release them back to back to back to back Mm -hmm. to back. So I understand why you're having Dwayne Johnson, The Rock Fatigue. I can get it. But it's okay, though. I'm like, I'm complaining. But it's also like, because like I said, I want him to make this money. It's the same feeling that I think a lot of people have about Tiffany Haddish right now. She's she's in a lot of things. Oh, I'm glad you brought up Tiffany Haddish. Because Tiffany Haddish, to backtrack to McQueen, when I talked to the filmmakers about the fact that Tiffany Haddish was on every outlet <laughs> ever, talking about how she spent four thousand or whatever she spent on yes. this Alexander McQueen dress, and she was gonna wear it till it falls off. Every single like, time, they were like, "Um, because it's a McQueen design, it will not fall off." I'm like, "And you're right, yes. it will not." But I love the fact that I she's she's she is resurging his name mm-hmm. by the simple fact that she's the the it girl of the moment, and every time you turn around, Alexander McQueen is tumbling out of her mouth. Back to the Rock, though, I feel like I am all about. I am glad that he's in a movie every other week because he's a person of color. Facts. He is a person of color. Facts. And I'm like, good. At least it's not Tom Cruise in a movie every week. Well, you know at what? Least, at least it's The Rock. I'm going to take a sip on that. Do you one. know what? Okay, so when my boy Travell said he's taking a sip, so I've, I've incorporated this new tradition of bringing cocktails and food into the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so Travell said that his drink of choice was was white, white wine. wine. Yes, my drink of choice is red. But I actually got a white Merlot from Ber- Beringer, which is actually kind of good. It tastes more like a um, I don't know. It doesn't. It tastes. It tastes like a combination mm-hmm. of the white and the Merlot, which is actually a really good taste. I'm like, mm, mm, yummy. Yes. And we got some little popcorn, which you know the studio provides us. So that was kind of cute. <laughs> Cause you know you can't you can't be up in here drinking a bottle of wine and just have no I mean, food. You can, child. You, that is not a good look. Listen, you and I both know that's that. a show I want to see. Okay, <laughs> that's a show I want to see. I can't stand you right now. <laughs> I cannot even stand you right now. But I love the fact that a person of color is dominating the box office. I love the fact that he has broken out from behind that wrestler persona yes. Yes. and become a box office beast. And he's actually a good actor. I will honestly say that I I would like to see him kind of broaden out a little bit more in the types of roles that he's doing. Right. Because he's always saving the world. He's always, (laughs) you know, fighting big animals and things like (laughs) Like that. Like Rampage. Yes. like And and they're always great. But I feel like there's always, like, little moments and little hints in those movies that show he can do something a little bit more weighty. He's a wonderful actor. I really... I want to see him, I really enjoy seeing him on screen. And what I really loved about Skyscraper, which I said this last week, 
is the fact that Nev Campbell had stepped mm. out of her box and was doing something that we don't normally see her mm-hmm, do, mm-hmm. which was being like this badass doctor who was yes. not waiting for the man to save the day. She was like, mm, okay, your daddy's not here, so I'm going to need you to wet these towels <laughs> and work it out. I kind of loved her yeah, for that. she was great. She was really wonderful. I loved her for that. Um, let's see. We already talked. Let's talk a little bit about the Scarlett Johansson thing, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... There was a, a huge backlash with Listen. her with this movie. What's it called? Rub, rub and tug. Rub and tug. Yes, we had to get her up out the paint. Basically, Scarlett Johansson. It was announced that she was going to play a trans man in this movie, based on a true story of this mm-hmm. trans man who basically rose up in the ranks of of you know with a lack of a better word, a prostitution ring, right. you know, through a massage parlor. Right. Um, and in so many of the press, initially, they dubbed this person, um, Dante Tex Gill is his name, as a butch lesbian. Mm-hmm. And so initially, it was like, oh, okay, well, theoretically, she could play this role. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the more research you do, um, I found the obituary that was written about um, this person, and it kept saying that this person wanted to be known as a man and lived life as a man. Um, so it turned out Scarlett Johansson was trying to play a trans man. And so it was just like, really, Scarlett Johansson, you already tried to play Asian, and we saw how that turned out. You know what I think is, you know what I think happened? I think that Hollywood has proven time and time again that when somebody plays disabled, Mm -hmm. or when they play trans, Mm -hmm. or when they play gay, or when they play anything that mainstream society doesn't deem as quote unquote normal, right, right, that that usually gives the actors playing those roles an edge up when it comes to award season. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey Tambor, Eddie Redmayne, Jared Leto. We can, exactly. Felicity Huffman, we can go down a long we, list. We could go down a long list. Exactly. So I think that with Scarlett Johansson, no shade to her because mm-hmm. I love her, and I think she's a very capable, really wonderful actress, that I think that this was what her probably probably on her mind trajectory-wise. It was. You know what I, I mean? I don't know if you saw, but her initial response to all of the blowback was, I saw it. go talk to Jared Leto's publicist, go jock, talk to... I saw that. And, it was just and like, then she backtracked. Oh. And then she, of course she did. Because she backtracked because like, people came for her. Because first of all, you're telling us that obviously you thought this was going to be your Oscar-winning role. First yeah, she of did. all. That's what you thought. <laughs> Secondly, it's like, I'm particularly tired of people using the excuse of, oh, I just thought this was a really important story and I wanted to put my name on it so that we could see the story. It's the same thing Zoe said. Donna said about uh, playing Nina Simone and they put Ooh, her in blackface. Don't, don't even get me started gave her on a that. fake nose. Don't even right? get started but on it's that. But it's the exact same things that people always say that we need this story to be told. And I always say we don't need your face on this story in order for it to be told. You can put your name on it. You can be a producer. You can play some other random person in the background if we need a name to get this story told. But why not find a trans man to play this role? It's not like there's a lack thereof. Listen. And it's not like there are trans actors that aren't out there that aren't good. We just and mentioned- Acting and just, working. We just mentioned one, Laverne yes. Cox. So, you know, I mean, there's that. So I just, I'm just interested to see, because I know she was also listed as a producer on this project. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm just interested to see how it's all going to play out in the long run. That's the down, the seemingly downfall of this, is that we don't know if we'll ever see this story because Scarlett Johansson has now stepped back from the role. We don't know if she's she also still gonna stepped, be, We don't know. See, that's what I'm interested to find out. I'm interested to see if she's still going to... Because it would be to her credit... She should. It would be to her credit, and it would show that she is bigger than her ego. Exactly. 
if she continued to produce the project and went out of her way as a producer mm-hmm. to find a trans actor to portray the role. She should. Because the story at the end of the day needs to be told. And it's a really good, interesting I know story. It is. Like, it's so, it's so interesting it that this person was able to rise up through the right. ranks. The story needs to be told and the story needs to be shared. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping, and hopefully she's listening, and if she's not, somebody will tell her to listen. Tap her on her shoulder, say, hey girl. Say, hey girl, you need to check out Black Tomatoes and hear what they said about you. Hello. And rub and tug. And we love you, girl. You're a great actress and all of that, to be clear. We, but yes. this just ain't the role for you. Most definitely. Let's be very clear. We love Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson here mm-hmm. at Black Tomatoes and, and at Black Hollywood Live. We do. But having said that, even though you have backed away from playing this role, I'm going to need you mm-hmm. to still produce it and find a very capable, very talented actor who is trans to portray that role. And what's wrong with just playing a white woman? Why you can't play white women? What's wrong with playing white women? You can get an Oscar <laughs> playing a white woman, too. Child, I can't get no Oscar playing a no white you. woman. Not <laughs> you. I was like, what they gonna do? Put me in paint? What they gonna do? Put, put Pillsbury dough on my face? What the hell? No, that ain't happening. That is so not happening in I this lifetime. I hate you so much for that. But you know I'm telling the truth. That's why you're laughing. Just to change gears. So, you know, Comic-Con is happening this it week. And, and my dear Scott Menzel is down there at Comic-Con. But while he was at Comic-Con, it came came out that Stan Lee and Power Entertainment mm. are launching a Netflix series after a $1 billion lawsuit was dropped. So this this series is going to come on every Tuesday and Thursday at therealstanlee.com. So go to therealstanlee.com every Tuesday and every Thursday and support my boy Stan Lee because, you know, he's an older gentleman and he's responsible for so many of the superhero yes. stories that we love. Support him and let him know that you love him. I love that he's still working at his age. Let me tell you something. Because he's like late 80s, right? Let me tell you something. You are only as old as your mind tells you. Amen. You know, okay. I remember a while ago, my father, I had discussed putting, having my father go into a, a facility for people that were elderly. Mm-hmm. And my father was very adamant about not doing that because he was like, you know, if I go and I sit around old people that are talking about all their ailments, then that'll make me feel old. That's too. real. I'm like, okay, daddy, I'll, I will respect that. And I did not do him for that. So I'm pretty sure this, I say that to say that I'm pretty sure that Stan Lee probably has that same mentality. You're only is is old or as young mm-hmm. as your mind tells you. And I love how he keeps popping up in every, you that know, is, every film, superhero you, film. It makes me holler out loud and I love the response <laughs> to the audience every time they see yes. and they lose their mind. And Jennifer Connelly is set to join Tom Cruise in Top Gun 2. I don't know if I want to see Top Gun 2. Nobody does. <laughs> You know, like, I have I a problem with a lot of these, like, you know, sequels that come 10, 15, 20 years after, you know, the original. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because usually they're not good. Usually. There have been some exceptions. But usually it's like, do we do we need this? I'm not sure I want to see Top Gun 2. Having said that, <laughs> I do love me some Tom Cruise. So, I mean, I have seen Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Listen, so many so, of those. I'm, and that opens, oh, and let me just say that that opens on the 27th. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that last week. So if you missed episode 21 of Black Tomatoes, go back and see what me and Scott Menzel had to say about Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> Loved it, but in- <laughs> shout out to Angela Bassett who has a nice role yes, in it. Yes, and Ving Rhames. Here, yes, Ving. Yes, Ving Rhames, who gave his his um, Golden Globe to Jack Lemmon back in the day. Yes, we love him. So yeah, there's that. 
Well, honey, that brings us to the end. We at the end already? We at the end already. And next week, you won't be here, which I'm really sad about. It's all right. I'll be watching, though, like everybody else. But you can come and pop in anytime you want. But next week, when Scott's back, we'll be talking about Teen Titans Go. We'll be talking about Comic-Con, because Scott was there. He'll have all the tea and scoop from that. We'll be talking about Hot Summer Nights, and we'll be doing a recap of Mission Impossible Fallout. I love it. Thank you, Mr. Travell Anderson. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure, straight up. If you ever want to replace Scott with me, <laughs> you have my number. Uh-uh, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Don't play. Listen, I told you I live 15 minutes away. <laughs> Don't play. I can be here in the blink of an eye, okay? <laughs> I hate you right now. Where can we find you on social media? I'm at Travell Anderson on Twitter, and you can, you know, subscribe to your local newspaper, <laughs> also known as the Los Angeles Times, if you're in Los Angeles, and keep me employed. Thank you so much. Yeah, we love keeping you employed. Yes, we do. Because <laughs> you got many stories to tell, and we love you for telling them. Thank you. I am your host, Carla Renata. You can find me across all social media platforms at The Curvy Critic. We will see Scott Menzel next week when he returns to Black Tomatoes. And until then... We will see y'all next week. Love, peace, and hair grease. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.